Good morning. My name is Wendy Irwin. Today's scripture reading is from The Good News According to Luke, chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. Listen for the word of God. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. I'm going to make sure I have my palms with me to wave them at any appropriate occasion. Let us pray. In the same way, O oh Lord, you triumphantly rode with your disciples into Jerusalem, we pray that your Holy Spirit would enter this place and that we would respond with great shouts of joy knowing that you are the Prince of Peace and you are making all things new. Bless us and bless your word, your living word as is heard, we pray. Amen. So if anything, Palm Sunday is celebratory and for good reason. Jesus and co. arrive at the Mount of Olives, and this is where we're told in the Old Testament's book of Zechariah that God would show up on the day of the Lord, that day when the world would be set right and God would usher in an eternal peace. And if that isn't symbolic enough for you, Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him to grab a donkey. It's sort of like, you know, he can... He can conscript, he's the king, so he can conscript whatever creatures or, uh, or valuables that are needed for, for his, uh, his work. 
And again, so they grab the, the, the donkey, and again, it's from the book of Zechariah 2, which says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So, Luke tells us that God is showing up, and Jesus is the guy that they've been talking about for so long. Hence the celebration. As Jesus rides into the holy city of Jerusalem, he's met by shouts of joy from his disciples. And I mean, Luke's version doesn't actually have this, but the other three Gospels tell us that the crowd waved branches and placed them on the side of the street. And that's what, just what you do when kings show up, kind of like those little, you know, those little Union Jacks when the queen shows up. They're like, ee, you know, it's like that. Then they toss their cloaks on the ground as a sort of royal red carpet reception, and they sing. Like any good celebration, there's music. The crowd belts out a familiar tune from the 118th Psalm, adding the title of king to that too. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Like I said, it's celebratory because it's not every day that a new king rides into town, let alone the long-awaited heaven-sent Messiah. So they're, they're doing it upright, you could say, for Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. And really, a parade is all you can do, or is the least you can do when the king shows up. There's a lot of excitement in the crowd, but not everybody is pumped for the arrival of of this king and this fanfare, we're told that some Pharisees in the crowd wanted Jesus to cool it. Teacher, they say to Jesus, order your disciples to quit it, to keep silent. Now, it's true that the Bible portrays the Pharisees, Jesus' rivals, as kind of perpetual party poopers, so that's not much of a surprise. But it's also an entirely reasonable request on their part, because this is some heavy treason going on. In processing into the city, Jesus and co. are mimicking their Roman occupiers. Pontius Pilate, the Roman emperor himself, or the Roman governor himself, rode in just like that, astride a war horse at the head of heavily armored legions as a show of imperial strength and power, Pilate being the representative of Caesar Augustus, a living God and the ruler of the known world. So it's kind of a bit of an obviously absurd contrast between these two, a sort of laughable procession. I mean, this is like Monty Python performs Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. Think of it like that. The world's most elite fighting force from the world's greatest superpower versus this homeless rabbi who trots in on a donkey at the head of a throng of rag-wearing, working people, poor people, outcasts, and sinners. It's positively 
silly. But at its heart, it still says something crucial and important. That Jesus is king and Caesar isn't. Roman power is being called into question. So the Pharisees are rightly nervous because they know that this foolish display is begging for a military clampdown. It's inviting a bloodbath. So they're like, would you keep quiet, Jesus? We love our families. We'd rather not see the city destroyed, more desecrations, and we don't want to end up dead. I mean, like I said, the Pharisees, their request is perfectly reasonable because this palm parade is playing with fire. Jesus, though, is undaunted. Their warnings don't faze him. Look, Jesus says, if my disciples kept silent, then the stones would shout aloud. If my disciples kept silent, the stones would shout aloud. This is an allusion all the way back to when Jesus was just beginning with John the Baptist who told a crowd that carrying the label of God's people didn't mean squat without a changed life, insisting that God could raise children of Abraham, the founder of the faith, Abraham, from stones. So if the disciples didn't sing out, if the disciples didn't join their voices in praising Jesus as Messiah, then God would just find another way to speak. God would recruit somebody else, even stones. If these guys don't shout aloud, Jesus said, then the walls, the streets themselves, would shout a hearty amen. They'd shout a hearty amen. Now, I'm grateful to friend of St. George's, Tony Robinson, for recently sharing the story of Father John Burden. I don't know how I'd say it in Russian, but a priest of the Russian Orthodox Church. Burden is the rector of Resurrection of Christ Orthodox Church in the Russian village of Nikolskaya. You may or not know that the Russian Orthodox Church has thrown its loyalty behind the Russian government in general and the Patriarch of Moscow, sort of the, people, the, sort of the Pope of Russia, has more or less endorsed Russia's war in Ukraine as a cosmic part of a cosmic battle between Christendom and the godless secular West. Burden, however, has been openly critical of the war, the government and his own church. He's led a group of dissenting priests in signing a statement against it. The duty of all Christians, he said, is not to support the power in this aggressive war. We don't have to repeat the mistakes of those Christians who supported the German government when they invaded Poland many years ago. Police have fined him and threatened him with a 15-year prison sentence for telling the truth and calling it a war. And Burden has been called a traitor to the motherland and the recipient of threat after threat after threat. And his Archbishop basically repeated to him what the Pharisees said to Jesus, you know, could you keep it down a little bit? Do you know what might happen to us? Do you know what kind of trouble this could bring on you and the church? And his response, I don't consider it possible to remain silent, he said. 
if I remain silent, I am not a priest. If I remain silent, I am not a priest. He can't help but speak on account of his Christian identity, on account of his baptismal identity in Christ. If my disciples keep silence, Jesus says, the stones will shout aloud. And in burden, God has his stone. He's raised a living stone, a child of Abraham, and spoken where the official church has failed to make a single prophetic peep. And in doing this, Burden's added his voice to the Palm Sunday parade. The journey into Jerusalem, you'll remember, ends with the cross on Good Friday. And here Burden's shaking his palms. He's laying out the red carpet with his life and taking up his cross, just as Jesus says to do. And Burden's courage declares the simplest, oldest Christian confession, that Jesus is Lord, and his name is above all other names. He's declared that the church has a higher loyalty despite the obvious danger and potential cost to his life, a loyalty higher than family, a loyalty higher than political party or ideology, either left or right, a loyalty higher than economic philosophy, higher than race, higher than gender or nation or any other identity we might hold dear higher even than our own personal safety, security, or economic interests. Because our king is not Caesar, our king is Jesus Christ, the crucified Lord. And that loyalty runs so primary, runs so deep, that sometimes this conviction may put us at deep odds with many different people, with our loved ones, our neighbors, with our culture, with our country, some of our fellow Christians, maybe, and possibly even our own church denominations. There is a name above all other names and a loyalty higher than all others. The willingness of Burden to speak up, to tell the truth regardless of cost, is an inspiring story of courage, one that I couldn't quite get out of my head. But it's also quite easy for us to cheer Burden's bravery from afar. It's easy for me to extol the virtues of speaking up when there's little at stake based on where we live. I mean, our social media feeds and cable news channels are packed full of our own righteous declarations and condemnations, but they tend to gain us clicks and likes and win followers rather than cost us anything. 
I mean, it's a real blow to my ego every time I think about it, but there's very little chance that the police will ever knock on my office door after a sermon. Or even Vladimir Putin sending a disgruntled email or a Russian cyber attack on St. George's computers, right? Right? But there are real instances in our lives when we may be asked to take a costly stand. No doubt there's been a time in your own life where you've kept silent out of fear. Fear of condemnation or losing a job or losing friendships. What's yours? I know that there's been a time in my own life where I've kept silent and should have spoken. That time may even be now in the present or that time may be someday in the near or distant future, but the only thing that's certain is that a time like this or times like this will come in our lives when we're presented with joining the joyous, truthful parade of creation's true king or sitting on the sidelines in silence. If that day hasn't come, the only guarantee is that it will. To be honest, I don't know what I would do in burden shoes. To be honest, I don't know if I've got the courage in me or the faith to venture this kind of holy risk. I suspect that I would be much more likely a silent Pharisee than an outspoken Father John Burden. What Burden's story tells me, though, is that even if I don't have it in me, God does. If I don't have the courage or strength in me, there is a source of courage and strength above all others. If I don't have it in me, God does. If I can't, maybe God can. After all, God has the power to bring into existence the things that do not exist. God has the power to raise the dead and to raise disciples out of inanimate stones. God has the power to give a simple country priest the words to resist a hostile nation. And if God can do that with a rock, God can do that with me, too. And if God can do that with somebody like me, God can do that with somebody like you, even if you don't think you have it in you. God does. If my disciples keep silent, Jesus said, the stones will shout aloud. May each of us be given the grace to be living stones built into a spiritual house that sings God's praise and speaks God's truth 
May each of us be given the grace to speak when the Lord is riding his way into our broken and fearful lives. And may we be given the courage to join our voices with the whole chorus of creation declaring that Christ is king above all others. For blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Please stand for our hymn, You, Lord, are both Lamb and Shepherd. You, Lord. 